Gosh, it's hard to believe school's about to crank back up, and uh, it's here, man. It's going to get hot eventually uh, around here. Yeah. They, you know, you say that. Uh, Ross said it, Texas cold front. They actually did say cold front. And it's going to get down into the lower 90s. That's a cold front. Uh, welcome to, to Texas. Uh, it's good, great to see you. Pam and I are grateful um, to have the time off. Just people are curious, what do you do uh, during time off? The elders decided a, a few years back it would be good for me to take downtime in July, and so there's a couple of good reasons. One, it allows leadership to develop here. Uh, also, it uh, gives us a little bit of a break, and so in this past month, we did take a little vacation time, spent a lot of time with the grandkids. We do something called Gigi Camp, which uh, our grandkids come, and they spend the week, and, and uh, it's the most exhausting week of my life. This year, our grandson, Cody, uh, Cody, uh, Noah, uh, decided to get COVID, so that cut into Gigi Camp, but it also extended Gigi Camp, and so uh, uh, I think it's still going on right now, And uh, but it, that was a good thing. Also, uh, a lot of physical therapy for you that uh, may not be aware. About three and a half uh, months ago, I was diagnosed with uh, Parkinson's disease. And uh, uh, so I've been in some pretty intensive physical therapy with that that continues on. And, and sometimes people ask, um, uh, how are you doing with it? Because uh, uh, just curiosity, uh, and uh, I, I think I'm doing well, um, a, a lot of adjustments, there are some good days and some uh, days I struggle a little bit, but uh, where we are is uh, through the physical therapy, uh, there's no uh, cure for Parkinson's, but uh, it's not necessarily fatal but it, there's not a, a cure yet unless the Lord decides to cure it. But uh, um, so what you do is you do your physical therapy and things so that it didn't, didn't uh, digress so quickly. And so that's where we are. And, and uh, so uh, we're doing, doing well with that. I appreciate my wife very much. She's uh, very protective. And so... Um, I appreciate that very much. So uh, that was us. And, uh, of course, we were here the last two weeks to worship with you guys. It also allows uh, the opportunity to worship at other places, which uh, I love the local pastors. We got some great local pastors, so it was good to pop in on uh, on them a little bit and check up on them. Yeah, amen. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, hallelujah. That was. Uh, I, w I want to uh, deal with this. This month is very vital for us as a congregation. You say, how so? 
we uh, are bringing on two new elders. Uh, 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 George Lee is rotating off as an elder. We have a rotation basis. And, uh, you know, Dale and Kim Ream uh, have uh, their living life on the road for a year. And so uh, Dale had to step aside as an elder. So we're uh, bringing on two new elders. And our process, you may remember a, a couple of months ago, I asked any names out, out of you that you would like to submit. And, of course, we uh, as elders went through other names. And uh, I want you to know that there are two elders that we're going to be presenting uh, as the month goes on. First of all, Carl Lamb. Carl and Christy are, are the two in the middle. Car, uh, the Lambs have been part of Central for uh, many, many years. And uh, Carl, godly man. And uh, so Carl, uh, number one. Number two is Sean Holcomb. This is Sean and his wife, Beth, and uh, their daughter, uh, Kate. Many of you know Kate. She got engaged last week, so that's exciting. So Sean and Carl will be the two at, that we will be presenting. The next step is that they will be, they have already gone through an extensive uh, vetting with the current elders. Next week, there will be a vetting time with uh, uh, a leadership group, and then uh, they will be presented. And part of our policy here is that we affirm uh, any elders that might come on board, and then they will be ordained at the end of the month. So what I'm asking of you today, there's a biblical criteria for being an elder, obviously. It's in Timothy and Titus in the New Testament. We use that exclusively. And... Uh, we uh, So what we do to come before you is that if anything in these men's life that is not above reproach, not walking in integrity, then uh, we need to know. Don't make up anything, but uh, we, uh, we, we need to know. And so that's why I come presenting these men uh, today to you. So uh, uh, Carl and and Carl Lamb and Sean Holcomb. I want to pray. Uh, God has a word that, uh, and, and my prayer is that God will allow me to share my heart uh, with you exclusively. So let's pray. And I, I, I just, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I, I want to ask you just to just for the Holy Spirit to keep you alert and listening with your heart over the next minutes. I know there's many things going on that can distract you and take your thoughts elsewhere, but really just ask the Holy Spirit to keep you alert. Father, we humbly bow before you right now. God, we need you desperately. Father, you are you're as close as our next breath. You're, we need you more than air, more than water, more than food. We need you. Lord, increase our desperation today. Lord, may you 
use your thoughts and words to speak to us today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be there in a, in a little bit, Psalm 33, but uh, I got, I'm going to talk a while before we get there. You know, one thing about um, my role as, uh, and I jokingly, in the early service, I reintroduced myself because some of you may have been to church uh, and you think, and I, I didn't know a senior pastor was even here. They call everybody pastor, and so I figured that was the case. But uh, one of my roles, yeah, obviously, from comfort and feeding and uh, uh, spiritual oversight, which our elders give and these kind of things, um, my role often is to uncover things, warnings, uh, uh, warnings. That would be a good way to say it. Imagine that you come to a mansion that's been shuttered up the furniture is all covered up in there and, and uh, it really doesn't have a lot of picture of life in it. Uh, imagine what you would do to get life back into that house as you open the, throw open the shutters, uncover the furniture, get the dust out of the way, and uh, then life can uh, resume in that house. I feel like what the Lord has allowed me to wrestle with a little bit this month personally is to come back and throw the shutters open and take the dust cloth off of the furniture so that we can maybe resume life the way that God would have us. Not, not that uh, we don't love God. I'm not saying that. I, I'm just saying the Lord is really showing me some things. And... Uh, and I don't want that to sound mystical because it's just scriptural. And if you're discerning, you can see, you can read the times. And uh, I look at the day in, in which we live and, and uh, I see the divisions in our country that concern me greatly. And whether it's over racism or whether it's about abortion or uh, same-sex struggles or... Um, the economy with the recession, our misogyny and the way women are treated, uh, truth is is relative today, and 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 these divisions in our country. What what concerns me? The secular country is going to be secular, but these divisions have rocked the body of Christ, and and I'm thinking, God has our affluence. And our lack of hunger for the things of God made us become issue people instead of godly people. And uh, uh, especially in the area of truth. Uh, truth is relative today, right? But we, as followers of Jesus, we stand on absolute truth. We believe this is absolute truth. But you know, in our day, when I say this is absolute truth, Somebody will say, what? They say, that's your truth, but my truth is, is this. And so there's this uh, relative truth instead of absolute truth. And we as followers of Jesus have got to be rock solid in an absolute truth in, in our day. It's like uh, there was a guy that went to the doctor and the doctor 
said this to him. said, okay, sir, you need to lose weight. You need to exercise. Get the proper diet. You need to uh, stop smoking. Uh, you need to do these things. And maybe your health will return. But we need you to do this as a regime. And so... Uh, he left, and he told his wife, and the wife called the son, uh, uh, who called up his dad a couple of day, a couple of weeks later to see how the regime was going. So he calls up his dad and said, "Dad, I know it was tough to hear what the doctor said. Um, can, how I just wanted to call and see how it's going with the diet, the not smoking, uh, and and uh, exercising, and everything." Dad, I just went, and the dad said, son, it's going fine. Well, dad, that was pretty hard stuff. And he said, no, son, you don't understand. I just changed doctors. <laughs> and I think that's the way we do it in our day, that if someone doesn't agree with us or what they say makes us feel uncomfortable, we just change doctors. We just go on the Internet to find somebody that does agree with me. And I can find that all over the place. It's relative truth instead of absolute truth. And when I look at the body of Christ today, I see that this division has just really sprinkled it in, inside the body of Christ, especially in America. And, and we can compare ourselves to other congregations and say, oh, it's not that bad here. But any sprinkling creates divisiveness, and, and we see this. And I look at the body of Christ today, and I love to go to other churches to worship. I love to, I, I can tell you this, oratory and worship are not hampered in the body of Christ. I, I'm telling you, every church that we go to, the pastor gets up, proclaims God's word, and it is good. But sometimes it's just hitting a wall. It just doesn't seem to penetrate. But it is good. And the worship everywhere we've been is really good. I mean, the best musicians, the best singers, everything. So we're putting our best foot forward. But uh, yet I'm looking at the body of Christ today. And there's mass exodus. There's people walking away from the body of Christ. We're also seeing... Uh, that in the body of Christ, um, that the world sees us as bigoted, judgmental. They see us as out of touch, whining. They see more that we're against than what we're for. And, and you, you can think, well, Mark, you're being judgmental. No, I just from reading the news and I'm... I'm discerning what is going on out there and I sometimes ask myself because you see Jesus said you are the salt of the earth but if the salt has lost its flavor it's good for nothing to be thrown out and trampled under the feet of men now can salt lose its flavor obviously it can use its usefulness and and uh, I sometimes think God am I flavorless salt and Am I that salt that lost its flavor? Are we as 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 a congregation in in the West, the church in the West, have we lost it when it comes to influencing our nation? And I'm not talking about 
arguing about what we're against. I'm just talking about our life as a preservative and an additive to this world. And uh, I sometimes think, God, have we become that flavorless salt? And um, it concerns me greatly in our day. And, and somebody can say, yeah, Mark, uh, I think in the United States, let's say that a quarter of the population of the United States, a quarter are truly followers of Jesus, okay? Now, some, somebody can say, yeah, but three-quarters of the world are not fo- uh, the United States are not followers of Jesus, so you can see how they overwhelm that quarter. No, I look at it this way. If I take a pound of meat and I take a quarter of a pound of salt and put on that meat, Think of what it's going to do to that meat. So it's telling me that we're not being the salt of flavor that we need to be. And this concerns me. And I've been wrestling with this this month. And uh, I kind of want to talk to you about, uh, let's go ahead and go to Psalm 33 right quick. Because I want you to know, I want you to see the process that I'm wrestling with. And then I'm going to talk about the first century church a little bit. But Psalm 33, this is where the Lord really disturbed my spirit in some ways. So this is what it says. Shout for, the, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright. And all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Isn't that great? Verse 6. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host, he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Let me read that one more time because I want you to sink in. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Let me go ahead. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army, A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. 
and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in its holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. The Lord, as I was reading this chapter, when, he, when I read that about blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage, I thought, you know, the United States can no longer say that I, we are country where our God is the Lord. And thus, the blessing, if God were to remove his blessing completely, I cannot imagine where we'd been head. But right now, we can say, and, and then it says in verse 16, the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. We have put our salvation in war horses and stuff instead of God. And we're seeing it. And, and many people will say, well, Mark, you look at our culture. Look at what's out there. Look at how the enemy is doing what he's doing. I want to give you a quick history lesson, and this is worth listening to. The New Testament was written at a particular time in history, the first century. Jesus came in that first century. What was going on is that Rome was the dominant force of that day. And we have been able to travel much of Europe. And I know I've seen, I've been in London and seen the Roman wall there. I've been in Spain and seen the wall there. I know in modern day Turkey, there's walls that were Roman walls. What I'm saying is, is that Rome was vast. And for 500 years, uh, Rome was in charge. And in the first century, they were very much in charge. They had taken all of that land where Jesus came in Israel. And sometimes we wonder, God, what were you thinking to bring Jesus at that particular time and birth your church in that particular uh, cultural experience? But Galatians 4.4 says, In the fullness of time, God sent Jesus. So it wasn't a mistake. God was thinking all of this through at the time. Now, Rome brought a lot of good things. It brought a peace. It brought uh, uh, road systems where which the gospel was going to spread. However, I want you to here's what I want you to grab. There was a secular part of Rome. There was a religious part of Rome, and then the Jews uh, were also there. And this is where God chose to send Jesus in the fullness of time and birth his church. Now, you still may be thinking, what's the big deal? Let me tell you the big deal. This is what would happen in Rome. Their morals were fluid, okay? That meant that anything could go. So what we would see is high... It, highly immoral, that a, a man would have three women 
in his life. You ready for this? And not his mom, but it had three women. He would have his wife for to give him respectability. He would have his mistress for pleasure. And then he would have his slave. A lot of times that slave would bear the offspring that he would have. That was a Roman man would have three women in his life. And I don't know what you guys are thinking. You're thinking, did he really have three women in his life? Uh, you're thinking, I can't handle but the one, and he had three. But, uh, and if you weren't wondering that, I, I apologize. <laughs> but th that's the way the man was. In the home life, the home life, you know, we talk about abortion today and, and the fight for life. But in the Roman system, you could have a child and then once you had the child, choose to keep the child or not. And I'm not talking about adoption. I'm just talking about, especially young ladies, we talk about the way women are treated today, but especially a little girl. If you gave birth and you had a little girl, you could either have her, have her killed or give her away. And, and thus, sex trafficking and slavery would, would happen through that. And uh, so they would make that choice. You also had uh, homosexuality very rampant. Uh, and we're, the word homosexual was actually not so much used in the Roman world because it was such a part of their culture. And many of the many of you traveled uh, to Ephesus and and uh, Rome and in the bathhouses there would be uh, uh, young men that would be taken advantage of and exploited, and uh, this was common uh, that took place. So the issues that we face today were out of the box, over the top during that day. Yet that is what God chose to birth his church in. And what happened in Rome is that people were exploited with high taxation because they had spread so far. And so this is what they're facing in the secular culture of the Rome, Romans. Now, what about the religious uh, element of the Romans? Well, the, they worship Caesar but they also had their pagan deities. And the worship of these pagan deities would revolve around sensuality and pleasure and, and these kind of things. So what happened is uh, you would have the secular culture, which was morally fluid, anything could happen. The religious segment, that also would happen. And then you throw in the element of the Jews who were legalistic, we read about that, legalistic people of the law, oppressive of the people, you can't, you can't earn it, God is not a God of grace, so this was what was put on it, and this is where God chose to birth his church, and we see that in Acts chapter 2. Now, this is what I want you to grab, the church did not whine, the church did not look for the government to change things. What the church did is they had their faces towards God and were pursuing Christ. They were, were willing to lay down their lives 
and they were willing to take care of the throwaway kids. They were willing to love people. Even the slaves and the temple prostitutes were welcomed into the church. They were willing to reach out. They had an uh, uh, uncompromising love for one another. And what happened is, is that church began to flourish. So I asked myself, if that is what God birthed in the first century in a totally immoral, lack of power, religious time, and the church flourished, and we are the benefactors of that today, what is wrong with us? In a day where we're divided over issues, why are people not looking at the church because we're different and loving? I've wrestled with this much of this month. And I've, I've really tried to come to, uh, to grips. And the way I look at it is that Jesus set up the church in the first century and he took these young followers and he automatically threw them in the pool and they were swimming against the flow. Jesus told them up front, he said, they're going to hate you, they hate me, they're going to hate you. They're going to hate me because what I do exposes the darkness John 7, 7, it, but then they're going to hate you, John 15, and these things are going to happen. And so I see that, and I look at us today, and I think, God, why? Why do I not see the things of the New Testament necessarily happening among us. Yes, we're seeing fruit. We're seeing people get saved. We're seeing lives transformed. But i got to be honest with you. i got to just be honest. The sins of the world have just crept into the church. I mean, we're seeing, uh, we're seeing issues of people dealing with. We're hearing week after week about another marriage is struggling. Uh, um, men are... Wrapped up in addictions, uh, we're seeing uh, families divide. We're seeing uh, all all these things. So when we look outside, we got to look inside, and, and the struggle is great. So now let me get to very practical. There's five questions that I've been asking myself that I'm going to let you chew on, uh, and these. These, you can write these down. I don't have them on the screen. In fact, my notes are just all handwritten today. But, but question number one is this. Do we today ever see the awe of God and tremble at His word? Do we ever see the awe of God and tremble at his word. Isaiah 66 says that we are to uh, tremble at the word of God. 
When was the last time you actually trembled? When was the last time you had a fear of the awesomeness of God? See, we've turned God into our best buddy. We've turned God into Santa Claus, meet my needs, take care of me, make me feel good, uh, do all these things for me. But yet uh, we come and we tremble because our sin has separated us from God. And we come to a holy God and we tremble at his presence. So I, I ask myself, when I go to his word, when I go before the Lord in prayer, do I ever tremble at the awesomeness of God? Second question is this. Have we lost the ability to blush at our sins? Have we lost the ability to blush at our sins? Jeremiah says, these people have lost the ability to blush. Have we lost the ability to blush at our sin? You know, we, I, I feel for our kids today. They stumble on social media things that I had to go hunting for as a young man to sin. You know what I'm saying? And so um, I, I just wonder, have we lost the blush? Are we, uh, do we... Do we not see holiness and purity as part of the followers of Jesus that His Spirit wants to bring these things out in us, but yet we've lost blush? And, and the, word, the word blush isn't even used anymore uh, in, our, in our culture because it's, uh, it's an archaic word, right? We're not to blush. We're not to have some kind of guilt and shame with... with uh, with the sin that is out there, yeah, we are to sense a conviction. And I'm thinking, have we lost the ability to blush at our sins? Third question. Do we see ourselves as strangers and aliens here? Now, listen, I love our country. I, I, and I, I, I scratch my head thinking, God, why did you let me be born at such a time as this, in a country that's been the greatest country on the planet, why did you allow me to be born at a time like this of affluence? And, uh, but yet, I know from reading God's word that this is not home. I am passing through. Now, somebody say, well, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. I will be on that new heaven or new earth. But listen, I'm a stranger and an alien here. I pick up the news on a daily basis, and the Spirit of God in me tells me I'm a stranger and an alien here. And I wonder if we have become too comfortable. We've become too comfortable. <clears throat> Two more questions. Number four, are we truly crying out to God for His presence? Are we truly crying out to God for His presence? And I know somebody theologically can say, well, Mark, when I gave my life to Jesus, I received all of Him, He received all of me, and, uh, and uh, so that's, that's finalized. But you know, I read all 66 books, and when I read even post-salvation letters from Paul, there is always a striving and a hunger and a crying out for the presence of God. 
And I think we've lost it in crying out because we think we got it all, but yet we see around us that it's not happening. And so we need to cry out for God's presence. Last question. Are we really that much different than the world? Are we really that much different than the world? I know somebody's going to say, well, yeah, you you got to look at us. We're here on Sunday morning. Let me tell you, that doesn't, that doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. And, uh, and I'm not talking about odd for God. You know, you can have every Christian t-shirt, Christian jewelry. You can have all those things. And fish on your car. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what you do. But, but you can have all those things and not be a true follower of Jesus. And I just wonder, and I know, I know, we, we look at the world and, uh, and uh, we, we, we'd all agree that the morally, uh, we're nosediving. But I wonder sometimes if the church, which, you know, is a little different, if the world nosedives and we're not just nosediving ahead of it. And I, I just have to ask myself, am I that different from the world? Am I, am I one that is crying out for God to do the things I know He does and He can do? And, and I, listen, I face facts that I'm probably going to be a pastor of, of the gospel that is here at the, one of the most anemic times in all of history. And uh, that is convicting for me. I don't want to hold to a former religion and deny the power thereof. I, I, need, I need to wrap up. And I'm going to take you to my, <clears throat> my journal a little bit just to let you in on my life. Psalm 19, 7 and 8 says this, Some nations boast of their chariots and horses, but we po boast in the name of the Lord our God. Those nations will fall down and collapse but we will rise up and stand firm. And here's my thoughts. The U.S. is a country that brags of its chariots and horses. We are a nation proud of what we can do, proud of our defense and our money and our freedom. However, we do not and cannot boast of our Lord. I am afraid the church has become flavorless salt and a sugar substitute. We seek the facts about God and the hand of God, but we do not seek His face. If the U.S. continues the trajectory, she will collapse and be no more what we know now. The church must lead out in repentance. The church must turn from issue-based fighting to a face-seeking movement. A face-seeking 
movement. We seek the face of God. We will continue to decline if we want to become issue-based people instead of a face-seeking movement. So, <clears throat> this month, we're <clears throat> going to be scratching this itch more. And on August the 28th, the last Sunday of this month, at 6 o'clock in the evening, we're going to have a call to prayer, a call to repentance, a call to Christ-likeness, and we're going to do it. We're just going to cry out to God. And so I want you to bow your heads with me <clears throat> right now. I want to ask you, just like I asked you at the beginning, are you, are you willing to say now, God, just speak to me? Speak to me. I don't know, some of you are, <clears throat> I know, on the same page with me. <clears throat> and maybe you, you want to just come kneel at this altar, and I'm in agreement. I, I, I want to cry out to God. <clears throat> Even though we did the Lord's Supper last week, maybe some of you need that freshness with God today, and there's going to be elders and pastors up here to pray with whatever need you may have. Folks, I know, I know an outpouring of God looks different. But you know, I do know that an outpouring of God means that the household of God is getting things in order.